From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. Earlier this year, Mayor Ted Wheeler shook up the bureau assignments for city commissioners. Commissioner Carmen Rubio, who was in charge of parks, now has the lead on two of the city's most critical issues. The housing crisis, building more affordable housing, and also helping Portland businesses thrive. Rubio is in charge of the Housing Bureau, the Bureau of Development Services, Bureau of Planning and Sustainability, and heads up Prosper Portland, the city's economic development agency. The governor has made it abundantly clear the state needs more affordable housing, and she wants to speed up housing production. What is Commissioner Rubio's action plan? And does it, as some critics claim, come at an environmental cost? Joining us now to chat about that and reflect on her nearly two and a half years as commissioner, welcome to my guest, Portland City Commissioner Carmen Rubio. So good to have you back on the show. Great to be here, Laurel. And just last week, both you and I were knighted by the Royal Rosarians yes. into the mythical realm yes. of Rosarians, <laughs> part of Rose Festival. We have a picture of you and I. This is after the ceremony. Oh, it's so great. We're wearing our medals. That was pretty much of an honor, wasn't it? It was such an honor. It was such a quintessential Portland experience. It was it was an honor to be there. Yeah, it was just really exciting. And now, in addition to your title as commissioner, you have the title of Dame yes. Carmen Rubio. Likewise. <laughs> it kind of has a ring to it, doesn't it? Yes. Well, on a serious note, let's talk about one of the most pressing issues facing sure. the City of Roses, and yeah. that is the lack of affordable housing. Yes. And the governor, as I mentioned, has really given a mandate to speed up production. Help us understand where we are in Portland when it comes to housing. How far behind are we? Yeah, unfortunately, Laurel, it's not good news. You know, we're and we're we're in this moment where we're experiencing the perfect storm of market conditions where we're coming out of the pandemic. Um, we also see inflation and rising construction costs all together. Um, that makes it really challenging right now in terms of the, the housing production outlook and we're behind in our housing production. So um, to really get to where we need to be, we need to, to build, be building 20 more, 20,000 more wow. housing units. And that's just for affordable housing. If we actually think about workforce housing and market rate, you, you would double that number. And what is your goal? When do you hope to get to that number? Well, we're working on it now, and we know that uh, to get to that goal, it would take about about 10 years. Um, but we're getting started now, um, and the good news is we're all aligned at the local and the state level. Well, to that end, you recently sent out a survey to builders, yes. architects, um, to staff members, asking them what city requirements could be modified yes. to help speed up production. Mm -hmm. and, and what did you hear back? So we heard back numerous things uh, from the numerous experts, you know, nonprofit uh, developers, for-profit developers, uh, people within our permitting bureau, uh, in other jurisdictions, and they all coalesced around certain policies and, and processes that sometimes things get stuck or we need to find a way to untangle the knot. Um, in addition to that, we have the challenge of we have you know, our commission form of government, mm -hmm. where we have the permitting processes really broken up over several bureaus. So we're trying to tackle all of those issues together. So the permitting process, you've really looked into how the yes. permitting process intersects with housing production. Tell us how it works now and 
how it's not working and what do you want to change? How would you change it? Yeah, so how it works now is we have our Bureau of Development Services and which is really the gateway to all the other permit, permitting um, entities. And there are multiple bureaus, the infrastructure bureaus like water um, and uh, Bureau of Environmental Services, et cetera, that ha all, and transportation that all have a role. The fire bureau also has a role as well as um, housing, uh, you know, and, and also the development services as well. So it's the the consumer or the the customer has to navigate um, multiple bureaus things, okay. yeah, through through the permitting bureau, but or through the de development services bureau. But um, we think that there are ways that we can incre increase that efficiency um, by working together to come up with some some easy fixes, but also look at some structural ones that we might have to take on as well. So when the city changes to its form, new form of government, which we'll talk about later, do you think this will make it easier for the city administrator? It's going to be high? That is certainly my hope. We have this short window until that that time comes. So my goal is to work together with my colleagues and bureau leaders who are very um, experts on this issue so that we can come up with these uh, these uh, longer term solutions before that change happens. When you talk about modifying uh, requirements for housing, there is some concern. I know you've heard from environmentalists and conservationists that speeding up housing production by relaxing requirements for things like trees, open spaces, bicycle parking, bird safe windows, eco roofs, that faster production could come at the cost of climate and the environment. And Bob Salinger, who's the urban conservation director for Willamette Riverkeeper, told Willamette Weeks speeding up these environmental or, or suspending these environmental regulations ignores the city's climate goals. And I know the climate, you know, protecting the climate is important to you. What do you think about that criticism? I think that Bob is raising good points for us to be ever uh, aware of as we we move through all of these um, these uh, process analyses. Um, I happen to be very a very f big advocate and firm um, advocate on uh, climate issues. So that is something ever present in my mind. Uh, but I do think that there's a way for us to balance uh, the catalyzation and fast tracking of housing while um, lifting up our climate goals and being true to our climate action plan. One of the other concerns he brings up is he says that relaxing these requirements could ignore low income and marginal communities that often live in the grayest, the hottest, and most mm -hmm. polluted landscapes. That was such a big concern during the heat wave we Absolutely. had in 2021. Yeah. Does the idea of relaxing some of these permitting processes, some of these rules ignore those vulnerable populations? Well, the good news is that all the things that you've outlined as examples are things that are very dear to my heart and are core city values. So for example, we have no interest or plan in like, a, you know, creating a situation where we're targeting trees, you know, in fact, we're doubling down on our tree um, canopy expansion. Which I know you're very proud yes, of. Yes, yes. So, uh, I, so I think it's important when you look at the list of issues that surfaced, it doesn't mean that we're tackling all the list. It's just what's, what, are on, what are presently on people's minds. It's our job to, to look at that list and then check it against our values as a city and then go from there. So, so people know that the reason we're talking a lot 
about climate too is because you were the head of the Bureau of Planning yes. and Sustainability. It must be a challenge for you to try to reach those climate goals and, and also reach the housing production goals at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, they're not so hard when you think about that we're trying to support and lift up and center the same people. The same people that are experiencing uh, housing shortages and, the, and feeling the, the pinch of the crisis probably the most acutely are oftentimes um, the same populations that are at the front line of the climate, the climate crisis as well. So um, I feel like these goals are mutually aligned. Let's talk more about the city's climate goals. Uh, some of the advocates that I've had on, some of the young people are really frustrated that we aren't making more progress. The, the city wants to have a 40% reduction in carbon emissions by the year 2030, which is less than yes. seven years away. Yes. And then an 80% reduction by the year 2050 by mm -hmm. compared to 1990 levels. Where are we in trying to meet those goals? Yeah, we still have more to go and we still have 29% uh, more reductions to make before we hit our 2030 goals. So while we have made some progress, we do have more to go. And so that's why I'm excited about the shared value around climate on our council. Can you tell us more about maybe some of your action plan to try to reach those goals? Sure, sure. So one of the, the biggest uh, uh, steps that we've taken recently, as as you might know, is uh, and one of the biggest tools we have is the um, uh, the Portland the PCEF Portland Clean Energy Fund, and with that fund we have seven hundred and fifty million dollars wow. uh, queued up to spend on climate um, climate uh, mitigation, climate resiliency, and other projects over the next five years, oh, and across seven different kinds of. Uh, uh, drivers that that we would use and so um, I'm very excited for these changes um, regarding PSEF we just recently updated them in council um, so we are now going to um, review coming in September the climate action plan or the climate investment plan rather and that plan would outline um, at a high level what buckets we want to be um, spending down that money in over the next five years. So I'm very excited for some of the initiatives um, that are um, being discussed right now. So it sounds like climate will be front and center Absolutely. as you go forward. Homelessness and, and housing affordability really go hand in hand. Yes. And the Safe Rest Villages was a plan, a project mm -hmm. under Commissioner Dan Ryan, who was the Housing Bureau Director. Yes. Now that's yours, but he's going to continue with the Safe Rest Villages and see that through. But you did have a chance to go visit a site. Can you tell us what your impressions were and how you think it fits into the overall plan of the mm -hmm. city to address homelessness? You know, I think it's very important for the city um, as, as we're in this housing crisis, we have to have multiple avenues uh, for people who have multiple experiences and different kinds of needs to find the resource that best matches their need. And the Safe Rest Villages is one um, one option on that continuum, you know, that helps move people out uh, of homelessness and into housing, on the housing path. Um, my impression of uh, the Safe Rest Village was um, very, very impressed with the quality of care and the, the attention to detail, um, the ways that made the space feel quiet and um, like a home, you know? It was in, a, in an area with a lot of trees. Um, there was relationships with the neighbors. And, and while, you know, neighbors have a lot of questions, and rightly so, um, there was genuine efforts um, to, and genuine conversations among neighbors and providers to make sure that there's a relationship there to fall back on. Which one did you visit? The one in North Portland. Yeah. And the residents seemed comfortable there? Well, um, we met a few of the residents and, um, 
the ones that were there asked really good questions. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see how that unfolds. But so far, uh, I've been very impressed with Urban Alchemy, which is the group um, that provide was contracted to, to provide the services. Um, the homes uh, look very um, welcoming and uh, the, uh, the amenities really good. Well, let's talk about the vote that the city council took last week to ban camping on public property yes. in the city from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. And then there are strict rules for all other camping. Violators will be fined and repeat violators could see jail time. Now, a lot of businesses say this is something that's needed because they're really frustrated because of crime, vandalism around their businesses. But other people say that the critics say that it uh, criminalizes homelessness. Mm -hmm. and so you were the only city commissioner to vote against mm -hmm. this ban. So tell us your thinking there. Yeah, my thinking was really, uh, it came down to two reasons for me. First, you know, back last year when a lot of these things were up, were up for discussion and we had, we passed several resolutions as a council, um, one of the things that we had committed to was exploring a policy that would be on the table um, later, you know, in, in this year. Um, but there was agreement and a commitment not to add any provisions to any future policy that would criminalize um, someone just for solely for being homeless. We have other tools and other laws um, already uh, at our disposal that we could use to enforce if we needed to. So that for me felt like going back on our commitment earlier that we had made in the previous year. Uh, the second reason for me is should the policy be in place, my other concern was that we have a planful way that things are, are in place so once the policy goes into effect that there's an ability for capacity, that there's um, day centers, that there, there's awareness among providers, that the shelters are open so that we can receive people that are going to, and, and the needs that are going to result of the new policy being put in place. Which is something the, the city council is planning, these large sanctioned camps. Yes. Eventually, which so, I support. Yeah. And you wanted to, you had an amendment where you wanted to I delay did. this until those are open. But the, why didn't the city council go for that? You know, I don't know why they didn't uh, vote for that. Probably because of the urgency everybody is feeling. However, for me, um, I, if I want, I want a policy to work, and I want it to work in the best way possible. And that seemed a way to guarantee that we had the time and the runway for our providers, uh, for our jurisdictional partners, to actually be partners with us and ensuring that there was a place to receive people and that the policy was more meeting its intent. Where are we on those mass alternative shelters? I feel like we are still a few months away from a few of them opening up. Maybe one a little sooner than the second. But my my amendment was to wait until at least two were, were ready to receive people. So one of your responsibilities is also to help businesses thrive. So yes. a lot of these businesses are complaining that they've been hurt, not only by the pandemic, but also by crime and vandalism, some yes. of them homelessness around their businesses. How are you hoping to help Portland businesses recover? Yes, and I hear and I, and I understand and I've seen it firsthand. I've gone on multiple tours and neighborhood walks and even in, in my own neighborhood as well. Uh, so I, I, I feel and I, and I hear people's frustration around some of these livability issues. Um, and I'm really excited that we do have a council that is equally committed as, as I am to doing everything we can, looking at 
every tool we have to not only, you know, on my end um, and in my portfolio, ca catalyze housing production as much as we can um, to the different ends of the spectrum, ensuring that we have, you know, the public safety force um, capacitated you know, at, that we need, um, that we have, that we're working on response times to get to the to our community uh, calls as soon as possible uh, that our businesses are equipped with resources and I'm really um, happy that recently Prosper Portland has unveiled a new grant that is available for uh, businesses to call like if they want it, I guess I should say later in the summer that we will an unveil a QR code that we can release to businesses so that they can access resources and supports from the city of Portland, including some grants um, around vandalism or just for various need, security needs that they might need. So there so. should be a QR code by the there end of the summer yes, to give them all the forward. information. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure that'll be really helpful yes. and welcomed by the businesses. And we can't, you mentioned public safety and I just have to, to touch on public safety mm -hmm. because gun violence is at historic record levels. Yes. And the city has decided to take sort of a different tactic when it comes mm -hmm. to gun safety, contracting with the National Institute of Criminal Justice Reform to develop a ceasefire plan. Are you optimistic that's going to make a difference? I, I am really optimistic. We have, again, a lot of alignment around council for this. I, I'm fully supportive of the mayor's plan, uh, his ceasefire plan, um, and I'm equally supportive of the notion of centering those most impacted by you know this gun violence in that solution. So I'm hopeful. I think we all we all are hopeful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Commissioner. It's time for us to take a break. Soon, Portland City Council will look a lot different as the city implements the change in the form of government that voters approved last fall. We'll get Commissioner Rubio's thoughts about that and her reflections on how the council's changed since she took office. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter and welcome once again to my guest, Portland City Commissioner Carmen Rubio. Once again, it's great to have you here. Great to be here. Let's talk a little bit about how things have changed okay. over the last couple of years. You sure. were sworn into office at the end of December 2020 and we all remember what that was like. The racial justice protests were still going on. The city was shut down because of the pandemic. You met the council, all your fellow council members, just virtually. You had Zoom meetings for a mm -hmm. long time. How have things changed in the two and a half years since? Uh, there's been quite a bit of change. So when I started in January of 21, everything was virtual. And so we had no access to our offices. Um, we had to have everything by Zoom or Teams. And so it made it a lot different in terms of building relationships or really feeling uh, the energy of City Hall and, and the city. How do you think the city has changed since you first were elected? Since that time, I think that what's what's changed a lot is how we communicate. Certainly, you know, um, the hybrid, the idea of hybrid working and the notion of that is something that that's different and that we're grappling with now. Uh, but, you know, it's also made me and my staff really appreciate the importance of relationships much more the importance of clear communication. Um, so in those things, I think those are the changes that we've learned um, to acclimate to for the better. And when you talk about relationships, when you were on the council at first, there were two women, you and Commissioner yes. Joanne Hardesty. Now you're the only woman. You and Joanne Hardesty were close. You often voted together. You were seen by observers as two uh, progressive votes. How have things changed on the council since her departure and how has your role changed? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, th I know you're probably aware of this too, what, to, to feel what it's like to be the only woman in a room. And honestly, it's not been the, the first time I've been the only woman in a room. So um, I just do my best to, to work really hard and uh, move my agenda and I'll work with anyone to do that. I will also say that, um, you know, what's, what's a big shift um, from from the time before was my portfolio is vastly different. So in that time, the work has definitely increased and there are a lot of high stakes issues right now that matter and very, very excited that the mayor entrusted me with this this portfolio. Well, important, we talked about yes. climate, housing, businesses. Yes. You know, we talked also about your vote against the, the ban, the mm -hmm. camping ban, and you were the only vote against it. Is it hard sometimes to be the only vote? Yes or no? It, it's not hard. Uh, it's hard to know that, you know, when you've carefully considered an, an issue, it's hard knowing that sometimes I will disappoint people that I really respect. Um, but part of uh, the job is really carefully weighing all the options and considering them thoughtfully. And that's what voter, voters elected me to do. And I'm trying my very best to honor that promise. Well, the city council is going to look a lot different at the end of next year. Voters approved a new a ranked choice voting system and a bigger council with new leadership roles. How are you and the council preparing for that change? You know, we're doing our best to work within our portfolios. Um, the mayor made a great decision when he reassigned bureaus by cluster. Um, it's made things immensely um, easier for us to actually move an agenda um, when you have all the right leaders in the room to have that conversation around um, an issue that touches multiple bureaus. So in that way, we're making some really good progress um, and I'm excited to see what this year brings for all Well, the us. new commission is going to be much bigger yes. with four geographic districts yes. and there will be three commissioners elected from each district, so a total of 12. The mayor would be elected citywide, so that would right. be 13. Mm -hmm. And there will be professional city administrator. What impact do you think that change is going to have on how the city runs? I think they'll it'll have a tremendous impact because I think folks at the local level in their districts will have much more access to their district uh, commissioners. Um, that's, a, that's a significant change. Um, the other way that, that I think there will be more access is that, you know, I think that, um, you know, there, there's going to be more opportunity to be present in the, in the district itself. One of the things that's a key difference is that we are the administrative leader right now as well as a policy leader for the city. Uh, these will just be policy focused leaders. And so the administrative business will be left to the mayor and the city manager. So I will be interested to see how that dynamic plays out and I'm hopeful for that. So the districts are still being drawn out, yes. the, the maps. When they're all drawn out, um, will you run again? You know, I'm just working really hard right now on, on the, all the critical issues we have, but for me, nothing is off the table. So what would you say in the time that you have left as commissioner is your most important goal that you want to reach? Definitely housing and doing everything to catalyze housing as much as possible because we are at the heart of this crisis right now. And ancillary to that is fixing our permitting system.
We have a little time left that I, I wanted to go back and ask you a question that I missed in the first segment about the city county relationship. There's been tension between the city and county over the joint office of homeless services and how it's spending available funds to address the homeless crisis, including money left over or not being spent from the Metro housing services measure. Your fellow commissioner maps has said he's dissatisfied with the city's contract with the county because the city doesn't have any control over how that money is spent. What are your thoughts about that? I think uh, the city and my colleagues um, and council has been dissatisfied in the past with uh, the challenge of communication and, and coming to agreement. I would say that I'm hopeful right now. We have uh, different leadership in different places. Uh, Chair uh, Vega Peterson has been very collaborative. She and the mayor uh, have been progressing through an agenda. They are, um, they are collaborating around mutual goals, and I would say they're making some good progress. So we have to talk about um, something that's fun coming yes. up this summer. You're getting married, yes. right? Tell us yes. about that. So during the pandemic, my partner Tony and I, we we quietly got uh, exchanged vows uh, during the pandemic. So this is probably the first time some of my family's even hearing about this. So we're having a wedding uh, this summer to to have our loved ones around us as we as we share. Vows. So what's the big date? It's going to be in August. Yeah. So many people got married during COVID. So it's nice that you're going to have a, the ceremony this time and have yeah. loved ones around. Just about 20 seconds left to leave a final thought with our, our viewers. So, do you know, Portland is opening up. It's coming back. I'm so excited and so honored to be a commissioner during this time. It was hard and it is hard, but things are changing and um, I believe in Portlanders and I believe in Portland. Well, thank you, Commissioner Rubio, for joining us here on Straight Talk. Thank it's you. a pleasure. Dame Carmen thank Rubio. You. <laughs> and thank you for watching. We hope you'll join me next week when we talk with the folks in Vancouver who are behind the successful Safe State communities in Vancouver. And remember, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast. Just search for KGW Straight Talk wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk. Have a great week.